I'm Samantha Goldman, and you're listening to the Food Explorers Podcast. As a parent, I know you dream of your child having a happy and healthy relationship with food. But I also know how exhausting and confusing it can be when your child just won't eat. In my background as an occupational and feeding therapist, I've helped hundreds of families both in and out of the hospital bring the magic back into mealtime and development. And I want to help you do that too. In this podcast, I give you the full scoop on the tools and tips you need to start helping your child confidently explore new foods while having fun. Please be advised that this is not medical or therapy advice and is just for general and informational knowledge. Let's get to the show. Hello, hello. Welcome to episode number 35 of the Food Explorers podcast. Today, we have Scotty Weintraub joining us to chat all about advocating for your child when they're struggling in school. It's not entirely uncommon for children with sensory challenges to struggle in the school setting. So when I met with Scotty, I really thought she could open up the conversation for us and shed some light on what to look out for and where to get started. Scotty specializes in helping other parents find the knowledge and resources they need to help their kids succeed when they are struggling at school. When her own kids struggled and she couldn't find the roadmap she wanted, Scotty channeled her inner researcher and got to work. Within her business, Reframe Parenting, she's sharing her hard-won successes and strategies with parents to save both time and heartache. Reframe and Scotty's bottom line, every kid is amazing and deserves to succeed. I'm really excited for you to hear what she has to share, especially with us gearing up for back to school. Before we begin, I did want to remind you that this is the last week to save 25% off your first month in the Food Explorers membership with the code SPRINKLES. If you've been struggling to consistently and confidently introduce new foods to your child without the battles, this is your time. When you join the membership, you'll unlock access to monthly bite-sized private podcast trainings about our featured food of the month, food activities specifically designed to help you introduce and explore that food, access to our food library, which contains all past activities for reference, a comprehensive training library with recorded sessions on mealtime structure, choosing the right foods for your child, and more. And here's the really exciting new bonus. You'll now receive unlimited access to all my future digital products as long as you remain an active member. Additionally, our mealtime handbook is coming soon, providing answers to your latest mealtime struggles and questions. You really don't want to miss this. So use the code SPRINKLES at checkout and get your first month for just $14.99. All right, let's get to the show. Hey, Scotty, I am so happy to have you here today. Hi, it's so nice to be here. So Scotty, can you give us a little introduction about who you are and what you do? Hi, I'm Scotty Weintraub. I'm the founder of Reframe Parenting, and I support families, parents of kids who are struggling in school to find the information they need and a path forward to success. So let's jump in right to that first question. What are some signs you were seeing at home that clued you into the fact that your kids might be struggling at school? Well, I think... There can be a few things to look for. For us, it was that we started to get a lot of complaining about school. When previous to that, school had been kind of a fun place. 
and we'd gotten positive feedback from our child about school. Well, all of a sudden we were hearing grumblings, comments about it's boring, it's too hard, I don't like my teacher. So those are sort of a signal to say, okay, previously you'd been enjoying it. So what's changed? Something's, something's changed for us. Um, I think, you know, kind of looking for that change in attitude, change in mood around schooling. And are they engaging in their schoolwork at home? Young kids don't always have to do this, but if they're an older kid who needs to be engaging in schoolwork while they're at home, are they doing that? Is that becoming a problem? Are you seeing a lot of resistance around even very simple at-home tasks related to school? Those are some, I think, that might be like first indicators. I... I think that's so good. I would not have thought of kind of that just, I don't want to go to school. I don't like you think of Mm -hmm. that kind of as, you know, typical, we all didn't want to go to school, but it's kind of similar to what I say about eating that a lot of the times kids are like, oh, I'm not interested in that. I don't like that. But because it's challenging. Yes. Yes. When something's hard, we don't want to do it. So we resist it. And especially for kids who are not, you know, they're, they're not always completely able to express themselves what we see instead of saying like school's been really hard lately (laughs) we hear instead is I just don't want to do that so once you notice that your child was struggling in school that your kids were struggling in school are there certain questions that you recommend asking a teacher that you've asked that you found to be helpful yes I think starting with what you're observing at home is a great place to start just saying to the teacher, we're, we're hearing, you know, our child saying that they're not having, you know, what are you seeing in school? Because this is what we're seeing at home. And that opens a conversation for them to tell you if they're seeing something. If they're not, then that's also an opportunity to do a little digging. Okay, the teacher's not really seeing anything, but we're hearing these comments. I wonder if we can get to the bottom of what's going on. It just gives you a little more... Um, need for digging do that uncovering but I think asking teachers what they're observing is the student engaged in class are they having any specific challenges with assignments or learning milestones how are they doing in relationship to their peers you know the teacher especially in elementary school is seeing the students all day so they're able to notice things that they might not be putting all the pieces together yet and you might not either as a parent but just gathering those pieces of information from them and from what you're seeing at home helps you start to put that picture together yeah and in my experience I feel like teachers they care so much they really do want kids to succeed and they they are watching those little things they're looking for them so I think sometimes they do pick up on things that maybe they're not telling us right away because they're they're keeping an eye on it. But I like the idea of just asking like, hey, what are you seeing? Yes, and not with um, the thought that it's a very large concern, but just in opening a conversation, because I think also when the teacher knows that the parent is engaged and wants to know what's happening, that's just opened up a relationship with the teacher. And they're then more open to and willing to reach out to tell you, oh, I noticed this thing happening today. And I know you talked to me that you'd seen something happening at home. So I thought it was worth mentioning. It just allows for more uh, building of the relationship. Yeah. 
So that brings up kind of an interesting point because where we're located, a lot of the parents actually have a really hard time even getting in touch with the teacher. I know they use these online systems now and you you can't walk them into school sometimes. Like it's difficult than it used to be when we were growing up. My mom walked me into class. She knew my teacher every day. Um, yeah. Do you have any recommendations in your experience of what good ways to reach out and actually connect with them are? Well, I would say first, use the opportunities that are, are really available, especially at the beginning of the school year. Most schools will have some kind of back to school night, some kind of, um, they might have a, a picnic or some opportunity where the school community comes together. That's a chance for you to not to have an in-depth conversation with the teacher necessarily, but to make that introduction. Hi, I'm Susan's mom. I just wanted to check in and say hi. And if you had specific concerns, you could ask. I think it's worthwhile saying, how is the best way to reach you? Because then that's an invitation again. It's asking them what works best for them. Because as you know, teachers are overwhelmed at times. They've got a lot of students, a lot of things they're tracking. And sometimes emails get lost, but maybe they're the teacher who really appreciates having an email. And they might say to you, you know, if you don't hear back from me immediately, send me another one. Great, now you know, that's information. Okay, this teacher prefers this kind of communication. Maybe they prefer you leaving a phone message. Okay, then do that. <laughs> Whatever it is that you can figure out. Um, sometimes I think if you're not able to figure those pieces out, calling the office can help too. And just saying simply, my student is in this person's class and I'm just wondering what the best way to reach them is. And that opens up an invitation too, even with the school staff to say, oh, that teacher usually prefers this kind of communication or let me ask her and get back to you. So it's just asking open-ended questions and trying to find the information you need, even if at first it feels a little um, hard. Yeah. What a great idea to do this with back to school. So this episode is going to launch probably end of July. So right for back to school, <laughs> oh, when great. you're going to orientation, you're going to meetings. So I think that idea of first going in, because you probably have an idea of how your child was doing at the end of the year, if there were any struggles, but even if there isn't getting in there, meeting the teacher, how can I contact you if there is something so that you start that out now. I think that was such a smart idea. Yeah. And I would say I've also used this strategy too, where I've dropped in and not all schools might be open to this, but I've dropped in in the days before school started when teachers are back in their classrooms, setting up, going to meetings and just did a drop in and knocked on the door when the teacher was there and said, hi, I'm so-and-so's mom. And I just wanted to check in you know, how is the best way to reach you over the year? Because I have a, a few concerns or things I want to talk to you about. And then they're, you know, they're, you don't, aren't asking for a ton of their time in that moment, but just making that quick introduction, know, they then know that you want to be involved. And it opens up that conversation about how's the best way to do that. So mm -hmm. that's another one I've used pretty successfully in the past. And I think the idea of asking how they want to receive kind of information and and your questions is really important too. Cause just like you said, if somebody emails me, if I don't email back, I'm like, 
yeah, that email's gone. Email me again. <laughs> like, <Right>. please. <laughs> yes. And some people prefer texts. Uh, some people prefer phone messages. It, you know, it just varies. Some teachers might tell you, can you just drop in at the end of the day if you're picking up? Mm-hmm. And that's easiest for me. Whatever it is, if you can try to accommodate that, I think that's always helpful. Because, you know, we're trying to meet them in the middle. Yeah, that those are great tips. So because we're talking about back to school, Again, as this episode launches, we are gearing up for back to school. Are there other areas you recommend that a parent can start getting ready for advocating for their child, kind of building up and getting themselves prepared? Yes. I think that just really doing some personal reflection as the parent and maybe thinking too about how did school go last year? Did things go pretty smoothly? What were the kind of things that weren't as smooth? And any feedback you heard from previous year's teachers, that's really good to just kind of bring back into your mind and carry forward in those conversations with teachers. So kind of gathering information about what's happened in the past and thinking too about how does my child learn best? What's an ideal situation for them? And kind of thinking that through, even making a list. My child works best you know, in um, where they have an opportunity to move around. My child works best when they have multiple reminders about deadlines, whatever it is. But if you can think through some of those, and then that'll set you up for those conversations with teachers that we just talked about, for you to have like concrete things to talk about. Yeah. And knowing exactly what your child needs to succeed. So I actually love if a child goes to therapy going to your therapist right now and being like, can you make me, and they will do it. Can you make me a list of what would make my child most successful from an OT perspective, from a speech perspective? So I love the idea of doing that too. Oh yeah. And I have definitely employed that before from the professional. If you have professionals involved in your child's care, those are great people to ask. And sometimes too, it's useful for teachers to hear from other professionals. It's just a different dynamic than a parent to teacher relationship. Mm -hmm. It's a kind of professional to professional relationship. And sometimes that is easier to digest and, and take in. Having gone through this, when a child struggles at school, you can see their self-esteem sometimes start to take a hit. Mm -hmm. They're not feeling so good. They're seeing their friends maybe doing really well. And it, it really does. It really is a hard thing for them. Do you have any recommendations on how parents can start helping build their child's self-esteem back up when they're struggling and maybe they're even still struggling in school? This is one of my favorite things to talk about because I think it's so important. Those kids who have a hard time in school for whatever reason, they get a lot of negative feedback. They get feedback that their behavior isn't what it needs to be, that their academics aren't what they need to be. You know, sit still, don't do that. Like, And so it's no wonder that their self-esteem can suffer, right? So as parents, I think what we can do is give them opportunities to shine. Where are the other places besides the current struggling school situation where we can give them some success? Because everybody wants to feel successful. It does not feel good to anyone to be constantly told that what you're doing is not good. So where are those places? They can be, you know, extracurriculars. Maybe it's chess club maybe it's a sport maybe it's drama I don't 
there, you know, a million different places that that couldn't be, but some other activity that sparks their interest where they feel good about their performance. And it doesn't mean winning, but it means that they feel confident and like they're contributing in a positive way makes a huge difference. For slightly older kids, I think jobs are a great place to breed self-esteem for teens because they get to succeed. You know, you go to a job, you do the work, you get rewarded. It's great, right? And for kids for school, is it's not quite as clear cut. <laughs> you do the work, you don't always get the reward. So jobs can be really satisfying for older kids too. And one thing I'll mention because we're in the summer is summer camp. I love summer camp and I think it is a tremendous place where kids who struggle at school, who have neurodiversity, can really shine because it's a different setting. They get to use their bodies in ways that they don't get to at school. So uh, I like to call it a vacation from failure. So if they can be in a setting, even for a week or a few weeks, where they really just have a positive experience, it can buoy them before they lead into school. And it's, it's nice to have um, that kind of experience before we go back to school. Oh, that hit my heart so hard oh. <laughs> when you said they're constantly, you know, told these things and you're right. I mean, when we see, we see some of these kids sometimes come in an OT and they're telling us these stories from school and you see it on their face, you see it impacts them and they're, they're trying kind of like you said, but they don't always get that reward. So I love the idea of finding rewards in different areas and making them feel great in other areas, but then also having these small wins maybe at home or things that you're practicing at home so it can carry over to school. Yes. So they can see it. Yes, absolutely. I think, you know, finding ways and the work you do certainly helps people, you know, make those incremental wins so that things can get better. Um, but finding those places outside of school is a great place to start. Oh, I love that. So navigating the school system is really hard. It's actually one of the things that, you know, when we work with kids, we get asked a lot like, about school. And if you don't work in the school system, I feel like it's kind of this foreign world of how do you start? How do you advocate? And for parents, it just feels extremely overwhelming. So for those parents who are maybe just starting out on this journey, where do you recommend the first place they get started is? Well, it comes back to that communication piece. I think starting with a conversation with the teacher is a great place to start. If you're seeing things, if you're hearing things at home, just starting a conversation about what's going on. If you already know some of those pieces, like you've gathered the information around what's happening at home, what's happening at school, maybe you know through testing or other means that you have a diagnosis or a learning disability, you already know those, those pieces, that's a really great place to bring in that data because that data can really bring it out of the emotional realm and into the, this is actually what's happening for them in their brain. Their brain works differently. And how can we best meet those needs? So yes, I agree that school can be a really tough nut to crack because as parents, we come into it without all that insider knowledge. <laughs> and it is hard to figure out then they start throwing acronyms at us. 
IEPs and 504s. And if you have those already in place, there are clear systems for, you know, getting information, setting goals, having reports on those goals. And if, if you already have one, I will just say, and you're not getting the response that you need or your child's not getting the accommodations that they're required to get, then just know that you can call a meeting at any time. It's within your rights as a parent to call a meeting and say, hey, what's going on? How can we get back to meeting these needs? Um, so knowing that you have power in those conversations is important, but it's also a very difficult piece. And that's a lot of what I work with parents is finding your way through the mud of like, I don't know who to talk to. Um, but there are people to talk to. It just takes some time and energy to gather the information, to find the right people, and then to find your path forward. So I, I agree with you that it's really not easy. It should be easier. Yes, it would be very nice if it was easier. But I also, I really, there was a point in there that I wanted to go back to. Sure. You talked about as a parent, maybe with an IEP or with that 504 plan that you are entitled to call a meeting at any time. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Because I think many parents might not know that. Yes, I, I think the IEP process and the 504 process to a lesser degree is, is full of unknowns for parents. You know, so it feels as if you have no power, but you really are legally a, a joint partner in that process. So all it would take to call a meeting is to send an email or communicate with whoever is your IEP or 504 case manager and ask for it. And at least under the IEP laws, they required, you know, they have they have to reply within so many days, there are, there are legal boundaries around responding to that. I think what you just said there, it feels so powerless sometimes is so important, but you, you do have power and you are such an important part of the team. You are a part of the team. So I think that was great. I really hope that everybody listening here realizes now that they are a big part of that team and they can, they can be asking for meetings. Yes, and asking for supports for their child too, not just the meeting. The meeting is the first step. The meeting is not the end goal. The real goal is for your child to succeed in school. That's what we've got to keep our eyes on that prize because everything we do as parents and in collaboration with the teachers is with the intent of making sure that our kids succeed in school. So let's go a little bit farther into that because sometimes you know, there are times where you do feel, and you kind of mentioned this, like your child isn't, a, isn't receiving the accommodations or support that they really need. Do you have ideas for once they call this meeting, once they ask for it, how to go about this in kind of a productive way with the school? Well, it, this varies a lot school by school, you know, and who is involved. And other than if you're under the legal IEP process, then that's kind of a separate situation. But Aside from that, I think having open communication, making it clear that your interest is in supporting your child and working together with the school. So not making it adversarial, you know, it, assuming good intent, which can be hard because sometimes you might have experience that might not feel <laughs> in keeping with that, but assume good intent and assume that, as you mentioned earlier, teachers 
care deeply about their students and want them to succeed. So sometimes what I've seen also happen is that it might be a teacher doesn't really have information or knowledge about a specific learning disability, for instance. And so it might not be bad intent in not meeting their needs. It might be they need more information on how to best do that. And I think all schools could do a better job of training teachers or and the teacher training programs before their teachers about, you know, all sorts of things, including sensory issues, um, learning disabilities, mental health. If you as a parent can provide, assuming the teacher is, you know, open and wanting to best meet the needs of the student is to help provide that information. Say, can I bring you some resources? Can I ask around? What do you need? Yeah, I think that is so important to keep that line of communication open because teachers are, I mean, they have so many roles and so many hats that they wear every single day that they may want to go out and do some more research on stuff, but not mm -hmm. really have the time or find the sure. time because they're grading all day. We get people all the time with new diagnoses, different things, and you're, you're constantly learning. So if a parent comes in and they tell me like, this is what we need, this is what we know, I am like, oh, wow, you know, this, this is helpful because now I know yes. where we're starting and what I can do to help your specific child. Yeah. Cause ho hopefully the teacher also is a lifelong learner as they're encouraging all their students to be right. So I think sometimes it's that, yeah, bringing in the resource, bringing in the information, offering suggestions, being open to communication and trying things, they might not all work right away, you know, but being open and available to try things and redirect as needed. Those are all things that I find helpful. Yeah. So let's transition a little bit into that high school, middle school, you have teenagers, so I you do. have been through those. <laughs> Is there anything specific that sticks out to you with transitions to middle school, transitions to high school and what to look out for? Well, I think that they can be difficult, the transitions and not just for the students, for the parents too. <laughs> you get very used to, it's just like the transition from preschool to kindergarten feels really big for parents. Like, oh, my little baby. Well, it feels like that too when they go from elementary school, which is a closed, you know, more of a closed environment. They're in the same classroom. They see the same kids all the time. And then moving to an atmosphere where they're potentially in one classroom only for an hour or depending on what their class periods look like, but they're moving around and they're seeing a lot more students. And as a parent too, another thing that changes is that you all of a sudden don't know as much about your child's school and social life. <laughs> they, whereas you might be used to being really knowledgeable about who they're spending their time with and who their friends are and who their friends' families are, it, it becomes much less so as they get older. So transitions into middle school can be, you know, challenging. I think transitions into high school for kids can be hard too because all of a sudden they went from middle school environment where they, you know, became the oldest in that environment and then they go right back to being the youngest. And then being the youngest where the oldest students are look and seem very old. <laughs> so there's a big, you know, maturity gap too that you deal with in middle school across those grades. But I will say too that there are some real upsides, I think, to when your kids get older. 
and especially for kids who have sensory processing or who have some neurodiversity, I see some bright spots too. Um, one is that they get to move around all the time, right? They don't have to sit in the same classroom for hours at a time. They get that little break to move. It might not be too far, but it's like a mental, there's an end to one subject and a beginning to the next subject. Whereas sometimes in elementary school, you know, they, the subjects kind of bleed into one another and it can be hard for some kids to realize, oh, oh, we're done with that now and we've moved on. So there's clear delineation. They get to move their body. And if a classroom isn't a great fit, they only have to be in it for a very short time every day. It's not the whole day. So upsides too, I see. <laughs> Oh, those are definite upsides. Those are big upsides, I think. Yeah. So it's hard, but there's also some good things. Oh, I will say one other thing that can be really great for all sorts of kids is that they get to start being more in charge of what they take for classes. So they might still have to take, you know, the, the basics, but they get to try out electives. And especially by the time they get into high school, you know, what they do for that English class can vary a lot. It isn't just everybody's in the same English class. For instance, my 17-year-old last year took hip-hop history for his social studies credit. It was a perfect fit for him. He enjoyed it. So cool. you get to find, you know, find some stuff that's like, well, even within that structure, I can find some things that are of interest to me as a student. And that's fun. That's really fun. Our school did not have any fun classes like that. I'm a little they jealous. Have- they have a lot of really cool classes these days. Oh, that's cool. Okay, so we do have some rapid fire questions that I like to ask my guests. So as you know, I talk all about sensory processing and how we each have our own sensory quirks. Is there a sensory quirk that you have? Well, I was just thinking about this one because we were on vacation in a very warm place and I realized I cannot have my hair touching my neck when it's hot out. Ooh. It just is like sweaty and it, I have to put it up. I can't have my hair touching my neck. That's an interesting one. And you were in a really hot place. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> but once I realized like, oh, that's what I'm doing. I just would put my hair up and it would be fine. Okay. So what was eating like for you as a child? Does this influence how you interact with food? It does in some ways. I had several foods that I really disliked. Onions mushrooms. I don't think those are unusual. I think a lot of kids don't like those. Uh, but I really disliked chili. There was something about like beans. I, I don't know. I did not like chili. My family kind of decided that I had to eat it. And we have this funny, this funny now in retrospect story that, uh, you know, my parents made me sit at the table until I ate so much of the chili and I just couldn't stomach it until I threw up. So <laughs> I still do not like chili and I do not recommend that strategy. It did not help. Yes. And that is like a classic example of why I don't love the idea of forcing because <laughs> <Yes. laughs> the sensory system and your brain, it kicks in to protect you. <laughs> and I still, all these years later, do not love chili, even when I like all the pieces, you know, all the components. And our last question, what is one technique you like to use to either calm down or wake up your nervous system? I like to walk. I just find it really grounding. I love just looking at all the trees and the leaves and especially this time of year when everything is blooming and beautiful. Uh, But when I was thinking about this question, I realized I used to use swings 
when I was a kid, I would go on the swing set. And I never, until I got older and had a child who went through OT, realized what I was doing with all of that swinging. It's amazing how we naturally just do things to calm our body without even thinking twice about it. And then when you learn about it, you're like, oh, that's what I'm doing. Yep. <laughs> So you like some movement. Well, Scotty, thank you so much for being here today. If somebody would like to connect with you, keep learning, where can they find you? They can find me at reframeparenting.com. And a couple of things that we talked about today that they might be interested in, I have a, a freebie. It's a summer discovery guide for parents. And we talk sort of about identifying how your child learns best and gathering that information to be able to communicate it with teachers in the new school year. So you can find that at reframeparenting.com slash summer. Yeah. So get yourself ready for the school year, guys. Yes. It's coming before we know it. Thank you so much for being here. This was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It was really fun. Thank you for listening to the Food Explorers podcast a podcast about helping your child learn to become a confident and happy eater. If you love this episode, please make sure to share it with a friend, subscribe, or leave a review wherever you are listening. This helps parents just like you find this podcast and start bringing the magic back into mealtime. Thanks again for joining me today, and I'll see you next time.